Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. It's great to be with you and excited to preach this morning. And I love this church. Been here for six years and uh, keeps getting better and better. I want to start off by just showing a a picture of my kids. Uh, I love them, Mason, Reagan, and Rose. And I don't know at what age you can no longer wear uh, suspenders with no shirt on, but uh, somebody throw it in the chat and let me know though. Uh, Jamie, how old are you? No, just, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) Uh, recently, we, we purchased uh, Disney Plus for Mason. Okay, maybe it was for me, but I'm just going to say it was for Mason. And uh, uh, I've been watching this documentary on there called Imagineering. It's really fascinating. I, I encourage you to watch it. Uh, but it's about how the Disney parks were built, and it got me thinking just, um, man, I, so I've been thinking about going to Disney World, uh, but I've been thinking about going by myself. And there's a few reasons for that. Uh, I've been thinking about going by myself because, let's be honest, it'd be a whole lot easier It'd be a whole lot cheaper. I don't have to buy one plane ticket. I wouldn't have to lug a million bags and car seats uh, and strollers through the airport. Uh, I could sleep in. I could go all the rides that I want, and I could, uh, like Star Tours and Space Mountain, I could skip the teacups, and it's a small world after all. Uh, I could, uh, let's see, not have to worry about temper tantrums, nap schedules, breastfeeding, and I could go wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, uh, and I could stay till the fireworks were over. Man, I, I'm really liking where this is going right now. Uh, and actually, I wouldn't even have to spend any money at the gift shop. <laughs> Woo, thank you, Jesus. Can I get a witness? Just kidding. Love you, babe. I'll buy you whatever you want. Um, but you're probably thinking, what kind of a jerk are you? All right, why are you on the stage preaching right now? But before you answer that question, let me elaborate here. You see, Disney World would, in fact, be a lot easier uh, by myself, a lot more convenient, in some ways a lot more comfortable. But you know what I would miss out on? Uh, I would miss out on the beauty of relationship and forming deeper relationships with my family. You see, uh, laying down our life is where we experience life. And true, rich, and deep, and meaningful relationships only come from a place of sacrifice. John 15, 13, Jesus says this, greater love no one has than this than to lay down their life for their friends. You see, we serve a relational God who is relationally motivated. And so if we're going to walk out in his image, that means we have to do relationships the way that Jesus does relationships. I sincerely believe that the quality of our lives is directly tied to the quality of our relationships. Another way to put it is uh, your spiritual maturity Uh, will never outpace your relational maturity. Let me say it again. Your spiritual maturity will never outpace your relational maturity. And there's a reason why God set it up that way. And if we think anything differently, we're fooling ourselves, and we're probably walking out in a religious spirit. But for some reason, God has decided to use relationships to form us into his image. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it was easier. Uh, God, couldn't you use something or somebody else? Uh, Anybody but Ben Moss, please. God, anybody but Ben Moss. Dallas, you put me in in an environment surrounded by Dallas Cowboys fans. Lord, anybody, anybody but Dallas Cowboys fans. Uh, 
But our, man, our, our, our places of greatest challenge and relationship are also our, our places of great. I love Ben. He's awesome. We're good. Um, and, uh, and so, but it's in our places of greatest challenge and relationship that are often also our places of greatest joy. You see, the, the church uh, would be a lot easier uh, and church in general would be a lot easier if there weren't any other people in the church. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, uh, but man, what would we be missing out on? We'd be missing out on the fullness of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they all describe the church as the body of Christ with Christ at the head. So the only way for me to truly understand and experience the fullness of Christ is to walk in relationship with others within the body of Christ. Even those that I don't like or, or agree with, other personalities, other occupations, other races, other nationalities, other worship styles, other theological beliefs, other political parties. Watch yourself. Okay, I'll stop there. But maybe uniting around what we do believe and who Jesus is and what he did as the Son of God, Messiah, who died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected, and uniting around that is more important than what we don't believe or what we don't agree on. Beloved, I want to ask you this morning, how are we doing at loving one another? How are we doing at bearing with one another in love? And how are we doing in bearing one another's burdens? Beloved, how are we doing in encouraging one another to pursue the Lord with all our hearts? How are we doing in seeking to love one another unconditionally? How are we doing in honoring one another wholeheartedly and pursuing unity eagerly? Beloved, we have far too great a calling to sacrifice that calling on the altar of our own personal opinions and preferences. And if we don't choose to turn our ears towards heaven and listen to the good shepherd, to look to his word and for his leadership and how to do relationship with each other, how to discern truth together and how to care, listen, and support one another during this pandemic in time of cultural unrest, then we are going to absolutely get trucked by the enemy. And in case you didn't know it, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the enemy and accuser of the brethren. It's who he is. It's his identity. It's his very name. He doesn't play nice. He actually absolutely hates you. He hates the church, and he wants to destroy everything uh, that has to do with the love of Jesus. But Jesus, right? But Jesus. But Jesus has won the victory. Last time I checked, Jesus has still won the victory over death. That hasn't changed, right? And so that means we need to recall to mind the victory that has already been won to give us hope for the victory that is coming, right? The now and the not yet, as Jamie says. So Jesus has won the victory on the cross, and so we have authority to bring that victory into the present because of who Jesus is and that he is coming again one day to bring full that victory to the fullness expression. And so, man, we can take heart this morning that Jesus has won the victory, and it is not up for debate. Jesus is still undefeated. Aaron was up here, where, I don't know where he is, but Aaron was up here earlier, and, you know, if Aaron dropped off Bosco at, uh, Bosco is his dog, just in case you're wondering, uh, at my house to watch Bosco, I would do everything I can to make sure Bosco stayed in good health. And when his master returned, that I could present Bosco back to him uh, in fullness of life and health. You see, we have been given a responsibility to steward what is not ours. 
to steward what the Lord has given us, and that is his church. And one day he is coming back, and we will hand him back his church, the bride of Christ. And that's going to be a beautiful day and a beautiful moment. And I don't know about you, but I'm living for that day when I get to hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to call us this morning to turn our ears towards heaven and to live out of the core values of Jesus. And the way that we articulate those around here is seeking to love God, love one another, and love those who don't know Jesus. And in so doing, we can become the beautiful bride that Jesus came and died for, and that we can be the fullness of Christ in every way, the salt of the earth, a city on a hill, a beacon of hope, of life, of love, of truth for all nations, addressing racial injustice, agents of healing for the sick, the people of God bringing heaven to earth, rejoicing and parting like the victory has already been won. Today I'm calling us to return to our values, to remember the victory. Values are true in every situation, no matter what the circumstance. So our vision shapes our values, which shapes our behavior, which shapes our culture. Vision, values, behavior, culture, right? And so today I want to talk about what does it look like if we're living out these values for us to have a culture of honor, which is the title of the message this morning. Danny Silk defines honor as a uh, culture of honor as this. Honor creates an environment of love that accurately acknowledges who the other person is, positions us to give them what they deserve, and consequently gives us the ability to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Today, I want to cast a vision for us to be a culture of honor and cultivate a culture of honor in our midst in such a way that invites the presence of Jesus. It's like creating a peaceful place for a dove to come and rest. If you want a dove to come and rest in your hands, you're going to be peaceful. You're going to be gentle. You're going to speak and move so lowly. And we want to move and act in a way and speak in a way right now that invites the Holy Spirit to come and rest and dwell in our midst. And while I am primarily applying this today to the context of the church, we want to have a culture of honor in the way that we treat and relate to our kids, in the way our, our children and youth treat their parents, in the way that we treat and relate to our spouse, in the way that we treat and relate to the, our extended family, to our friends, to our church community, uh, and to those here in our community. So here's the main thing this morning. A culture of honor flourishes when we relate to one another as Christ relates to us. And when we do so, we are building and creating a kingdom culture, a culture of honor. So this morning, I want to share with you five different ways that we can cultivate a culture of honor in our midst uh, and where uh, this kind of culture can flourish. So uh, first point here, a culture of honor flourishes in an environment where individuals are experiencing the love of God and from that place are loving one another. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow, this verse is loaded, y'all. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So our ability and understanding of what God is calling us to do as the church and loving others comes directly from our experience with Jesus. 
So this morning, I want to encourage you, when did you meet Jesus? What was that moment like? What are the things that you would look back on in your story and say, those were watershed moments when the Holy Spirit showed up and baptized me in His presence? Let's recall those moments to mind because that is going to inform the way that God wants us to then love others. Can you feel it? Do you remember what it was like when Jesus showed his love to you? What if the people around you experienced you in that way? A new command I give you. A a new command? Jesus, we're, we're in John chapter 13. What about chapters 1 through 12? What have you been doing this whole time, right? What's been going on in the Old Testament, right? A new command? A new command. To love one another. For some reason, the disciples didn't have it figured out yet. And Jesus was still, isn't that overly simplistic, Jesus? Love one another? No, he, it's still what he's calling us to. And it's still what he's calling us to today. I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, Jesus ties his reputation to the church. If it were me, I probably would have done, I would have done it differently, to be honest. But for some reason, Jesus is okay with associating with the church. He's okay with the church bearing his image. It doesn't mean the church has done it perfectly, and we're still in process, but we can trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. Let's be a church that reflects the love of God and let it come from a place of remembering how the Holy Spirit has met with us. And with an experiential understanding of how Christ is related to us, we are then empowered and equipped to relate to one another in the same way that embodies the great commandment. Point number two, a culture of honor flourishes in an environment where the great commandment is being lived out. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Learn this from Yancey, but uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, you write from right to left and the uh, priests and the scholars, uh, when they were uh, writing down the the Old Testament stories, they would do something called scoring the page. And so they have a, a papyrus and they would without writing physically lines, but they would put indentations into the paper, into the papyrus, right? And then from that, they would write the law underneath these lines. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment is saying everything in the law and the prophets literally hangs on this commandment. That's called a lot of weight that he's putting here. He's scoring the page. And so Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's, he's calling us to own our own relationships with the Lord. There's a, there's a measure of personal responsibility here in us pursuing Jesus because we're going to stand before God and he's going to hold us accountable for our lives and for our actions, not for anybody else's. And he's calling us to love him passionately, wholeheartedly with everything that is within us in this moment. And so how are you doing it? Loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength right now. Last time I checked, a pandemic doesn't have to hinder that from happening. Jesus is inviting us to pursue him with everything within us. 
And then secondly, how are you doing it loving your neighbor as yourself? But the way we learn how to do the horizontal relationship is the vertical relationship. Anytime you enter into a new job, the way that you learn that job is by shadowing somebody who knows how to do that job, right? And you get under them, you get under their wing. And so as we learn how to do relationship with Jesus, it is the right model by which we can then do relationship with one another. The vertical shapes the horizontal. To love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you know how to love your neighbor? You look at how you love yourself. Permission to love yourself, okay? Amen? It's okay. It's, can I just tell you? It's okay to love yourself, and it's actually right to love yourself. And if you don't, see, this is where the enemy tries to get in. He says, you're, you're a scumbag. You're worthless. You're not worth anything. He's just trying to shame you and guilt you. But you know why he does that? Because he knows if he can get you in a place of shame and guilt, that you then aren't going to have an ability to love the people around you. And so our ability to love actually comes from a place of knowing who we are in Christ. You see, the difference between selfishness and selflessness is knowing who you are. The difference between selfishness and selflessness is knowing who you are. Because I'm free to love, Tanner, I'm free to love Ben and Jamie and Aaron if I know who I am, that I have the love of Jesus already and I don't have to pull it out of them. I have something to give that I've been given. I can't give you $10 if I don't have $10. And so we need to receive the love of God to give it away. And so humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Do you get that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So self-awareness actually fuels selflessness. We're called to be self-aware. It's actually a very godly thing to be self-aware and to ask the other people around us, hey, what is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like uh, to be married to me, to be managed by me, to be in friendship with me? With an right understanding of our identity and embracing the vertical and horizontal reality of relationship, we are then empowered to share this message with the world. You see, point number three here, a culture of honor flourishes in an environment where we combine a godly message with godly methods. You see, the world doesn't want to know how, what we have to say until they know how much we care, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So one of the questions I ask when I'm doing uh, teachings or leadership trainings is, hey, did Jesus build ministry through people? Or did Jesus build people through ministry? Think about it. There, there is a distinction there. And although he did both, I would submit to you that he primarily did it by building people, and in so doing, ministry happened. Jesus was relationally motivated. He invested in the disciples who were messy. I don't know, I always laugh when I read through the, the, uh, the Gospels about how much the disciples fought with each other, sometimes in front of Jesus. And how much patience Jesus had and how he could have spent his time on earth and time in ministry so many different ways, but for some reason he chose to teach these 12 guys and how to relate to one another. But the reason he did that was very strategic because he knew that if they could learn how to do kingdom relationships, they could then proclaim the kingdom message with boldness and authority. 
because they had something to invite other people into that looked like the kingdom of God. So to be a disciple means to be in relationship with others. It's also funny that when we read the scriptures, I don't know about you, but I post on my Instagram things that I want to look good, right? I want to make myself look good out there, right? I don't post the things that I've done wrong, the mistakes, when I'm angry, upset. Um, and, and, And so here in the scriptures, we find that you typically don't uh, point out all the faults of the people that have really established uh, your faith, right, in a lot of ways. Uh, but yet, it's through the, 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 the real and raw stories of the scriptures that share the faults and the relational dysfunction of disciples that we actually are invited into functioning in a healthy relational way. And so we have to learn how to do it here before we can do it out there. And so Jesus beautifully pairs these two together, a kingdom message with kingdom methods. It's great commission and great commandment. And so I don't know about you, but you've probably got some rules around your house in terms of the way things work and function. Who takes out the trash? Who, uh, there's a good reminder, uh, who pays the bills, right? Uh, Who cleans up? Who does the dishes, right? And there might be some tension around those things. Can I get a witness, right? But why do you have those things? Why do you have systems and structures in place in your home? Well, I would hope that you have a greater purpose as a family than taking out the trash. Uh, No, no, no. We, We have these systems and structures in our homes and our houses to facilitate love flowing between us, right? And so uh, we need godly methods so that our godly message, our godly vision uh, can, can happen, right? And so we can't just say, oh, we're about loving each other, uh, but we're not willing to serve one another in our home, right? And so we're putting structures and systems in place to facilitate this. Paul describes this beautifully in Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, the grace that was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, there's the message of grace, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Okay, that's the systematic part of it. His intent uh, for which was for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, Once again, I don't know why, but for some reason it's through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished. The victory has been won in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're taking the unsearchable riches of Christ, the grace of God, and then we are combining it with this method this oikonomia, that's the word in the Greek for administration. And what it means, that's where we get our word economy, and it means distribution of goods through the household to others, right? And so we're taking this good message and then we're combining it with godly methods, good words and good ways. And that is how this beautiful expression of grace is going to be distributed to the world. I want you to take a moment and just think about a great product that has terrible uh, customer service. I don't know about you, but man, I love me some Torchy's Tacos. 
Man, y'all make some darn good tacos, but you have some darn horrible service, all right? Can y'all please figure out how to give me my taco in a timely way without messing up my order, all right? And so I just quit. I just said, I'm done. I'm done with you, Torchies. I love your tacos. I love you, taco. I do not like the way you give me my taco, all right? And so the way I put it is culture eats vision for breakfast, right? So if you've got a great message or a great product, but you've got a terrible way of delivering it, people don't care, right? And so a good uh, product can be ruined by a terrible method. Uh, now, if we just have a great method of doing church and we're just, we just love each other and sing Kumbaya, we're probably not doing much for the kingdom. So it's not enough to have a good message. You've got to have a good method, but a good m- method will... Can, you can't make up for, for a lack of a good message, but it sure can ruin or spoil one. And so we as the church are called to take this beautiful message that we've been entrusted with and distribute it in a way that is a blessing to others around us. What if the church was a blessing to the world? What if the church was a blessing to everyone who walked through our doors? Thank you, Jesus. You're going to help us get there. So love has to precede ministry. When we're talking about creating a culture of honor, once again, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. And so if you're doing a bunch of stuff for the kingdom, but you're not doing it with love, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has a few things to say about that, right? That it's worthless, it's meaningless. We want to have a culture of love and honor. Point number four, a culture of honor flourishes in an environment where there is clarity around what the term loving God actually means. So I always laugh when I, you know, churches are like, man, I just, man, I just want to love God, love people. Yeah. Amen. Okay. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Right? I just love God, love people, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so what does that mean, all right? Uh, so I don't know about you, but what's the last beach that you went to, okay? I want you to, to, to picture that in your mind's eye, right? What was the, what's the temperature like? What's the texture of the sand? What is the, the, the air smell like? What does the water look like? What is the size of the waves? What is the culture like around the beach? Is it a quiet beach? Is it a loud beach? And just as you're thinking about that, you know, you might be thinking about like Montego Bay or something. But if I'm thinking about Galveston, we got a totally different experience, y'all. And look, I'm from Houston and I don't even love Galveston, all right? We went, you go to Galveston, it's brown water, brown sand, seaweed, and it stinks, all right? I'm just saying, all right? So we've got a, I might be talking about a beach, but we're talking about two different types of beaches. And so we need some clarity around what it means to actually love people. Okay, and so we as a staff have tried to articulate this. This is not a perfect list or a comprehensive list, and, but we've tried to say, hey, these are some relational values that we are committed to. And that, doesn't, that means whether it's Jamie or the person that's here, you know, who's, who's just brand new to the church, we're all ascribing to these same values. And so a culture of honor can't be used in a punitive way towards people. That's... Uh, that, that's hypocritical, right? And so we try to articulate these in a way that encourages us all to enter into this idea of loving people. And so I want to share with you guys uh, this list. If you're looking for the comprehensive list, you can find it on the, uh, the, in the sermon notes on the app uh, or on our sermon page on our website. But uh, first off, we're committed to relationship with Jesus because we're, 
uh, we serve a relational God, a triune God who has been doing relationships since before creation. And so if we're going to know how to do relationship with others, we have to do relationship with Christ. And as we pursue relationship with Christ, as I've said earlier in this sermon, we're gonna, our relationships are going to become healthier, healthier, and our relationships are going to flourish as we choose to walk out in our new self, turning away from hurtful habits, sinful patterns, and allowing our minds to be renewed as we walk out in the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, we've committed to loving one another unconditionally. And this is something that we're striving for. We don't do it perfectly, but Jesus is the one who did do it perfectly. And we've been given his spirit. And so that is what we are seeking to live out and usher in his presence into every environment that we step into. And so we express this value by cultivating a sincere love for one another. People know when you're not being sincere. They just know it. It's easy. You can smell it. Our love for us, for one another, is more valuable than any talent or gift that we can offer. Amen? We are here to serve and not to be served. Jesus chose to wash the disciples' feet. And we make space in our lives to love and serve others. Amen? We're not just thinking about ourselves and our own self-advancement. Third thing we've committed to is to honor one another wholeheartedly. Romans 12, 3-5 talks about how we as the body of Christ are to think of ourselves with sober judgment, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but in accordance with the faith that God, faith that God has distributed to each of us, um, that we would treat one another in that way. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the others in the body of Christ. So we express this value by understanding that each one of us and our role and our gifts are an essential part of the local church and the body of Christ at large. I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but you are an essential part of the body of Christ. Can I just tell you that you matter? You matter to this church. You matter to this body. You're not alone. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that you're not cared for or loved. You are an essential part of this body. We play the part that we've been given joyfully without comparing ourselves to others. Comparison kills. We submit to one another in the authority God has placed over us, and we speak the truth in love, allowing our, lo- our words to, and actions to build one another up. Let the words of your mouth be edifying to the church and the body of Christ. Fourth, we choose to pursue unity eagerly. Ephesians 4.3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see that word there? Maintain maintain. It's not saying figure it out, strive for this. No, it's saying maintain what you've been given by Jesus. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we do and express this value by valuing our diversity. Amen? And oneness in that we reflect the Trinity. We are one body with many parts who belong to one another. We trust one another and we're committed to authenticity with one another. In conflict, we turn quickly towards one another, not allowing bitterness to take root. Amen? So we don't talk around, uh, around <laughs> about one another behind each other's backs. No, we go to that person. That is the biblical model for conflict resolution. And we assume the best about everyone and forgive quickly. Amen? How are we doing at assuming the best about one another? And finally, we pursue peace with each other. It's not enough to be want peace, We are called to pursue it. So as we wrap up this morning, I invite Aaron up 
Um, I'm not much about biologists, but I do enjoy taking Mason to the zoo and seeing all the animals. And one thing outside of every display or every species or whatever it may be, there's a map and it's got these different uh, places in the world that you can find this plant or this animal. And the reason why you can find this plant or this animal there is because the environment that is notated on this map is an environment that is conducive to this particular plant, animal, species flourishing. And so a prerequisite for the kingdom of God coming is actually an environment where there is a culture of honor. And so today, I want to call us to be a people that are cultivating a culture of honor in our midst. When Rachel and I started dating, uh, one of the things that uh, was important to us was that we had a culture of honor in our relationship. And uh, I told Rachel when we started that I told her, hey, if I'm not the man that you marry, I want that man to be able to look me in the eye and tell me thank you for the way that you treated my wife. I want to show you picture of our wedding day and actually I want to show you a picture of our our first kiss no he didn't put up the wrong picture Uh, and this is not for everybody but this is the way that we chose to do it because we said we want to honor one another and it's so important to us that we have a culture of honor in our marriage uh, that we're going to wait till our wedding day to have our first kiss and can I tell you Like I said, it's not for everybody. It's just how the way we felt like the Lord was calling us to do it in that time. And it was beautiful because it didn't just benefit Rachel and I in in, in seeing one one another for who we were and appreciating that and and loving one another in that way. Uh, But our community around us got to benefit. And that day that we celebrated uh, our wedding day, those there with us got to celebrate with us in that moment. And then you, as our church family now, are getting to benefit, hopefully, from Rachel and I cultivating that culture of honor in our own marriage. And you see, when we walk out in a culture of honor, it's not just for us. It benefits everybody around us. Church, I want to call us to be a people of honor. I want to call us to be a people of honor that bless the body of Christ at large. What would it look like if we were willing to do radical things in the eyes of the world because we had a vision for a culture of honor? Yes, I understood waiting until our wedding day to have our first kiss was a radical thing, but it was worth it to me to share that there is something great. There's a different way to live. You don't have to do it the way the world does it. You can do differently. You can live differently in a way that cultivates and demonstrates the love of Jesus. What would it look like if we lived out our relational values? What would it look like if we lived out our core values of loving God, loving one another, and loving those who don't know Jesus? How would this fuel the kingdom message that the Lord has given us? What type of church would we be, and what type of impact would it have? While I don't know the outcome of coronavirus, what I do know is that God's promises have not changed. 
that God's nature has not changed and that his goodness has not changed, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is still our high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but that he is and will be victorious. And I know that his church is still plan A for redemption and healing in the world. This morning, I wanna encourage you, beloved, that you are a part of something bigger than yourself. That you don't just belong to yourself, you belong to the body of Christ. And that you have a vital and an important part to play. I know it may not seem like it right now, but I believe that God is at work. We just have to find him in it where he's at work right now. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church. Let's love and honor one another well. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you would make us into a people of honor, that we would cultivate a culture of honor in our midst. And that by the way that we love one another, the world would know that we are your disciples. Lord, would Antioch, Fort Worth, be the most loving place in this nation? Lord, would it be just a loving and kind and beautiful and Jesus-reflecting place? We need you, God. We need your love. We turn our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to bless you with Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 as we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I bless you, church, to not grow weary, to not lose heart, to remind, be remembered and reminded that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Love you, church. Have a great Sunday. In Jesus' name.